Clunk click every trip. I've talked about our escapades previously with travel when it comes to trains, planes and automobiles. Over the years, though, car journeys have been a challenging one for both boys, and it was generally due to the challenges the seatbelts presented. And so in the interest of any parent who struggles with this, they may find they can concur with their experiences. I don't know what it was when they were little, but it was as if the boys hated to be restricted by seatbelts, and as soon as you would strap them into the car, they would undo the buckle in the car seat. It was less of an issue when they used to have baby seats, as they couldn't quite undo the complex bottle. But once they went into booster seats, all hell broke loose. You could be driving along quite happily and they would undo the seatbelt and then open the rear car door, which both boys had done previously. I'd have to stifle my panic tones, pull over, jump out and lock the door again. I would check every single vehicle to ensure that the child lock had been activated in the first instance, whether it was school transport or taxi rides or our own car. There were times where during a journey they would insist on sitting in the footwell of the car and so an adult would have to sit in the back with them and desperately try to put them in their seat. But nine times out of ten, it was horrifically difficult with lots of screaming and crying going on for the duration of the journey. How we weren't arrested over the years was an absolute miracle. But to be frank, if a police officer had ever stopped me, I would have most probably used it as an excuse to highlight the fact that car manufacturers needed to ensure that seatbelts were built to deter escape artists like my two. School helped a lot in the early days by placing a plastic cup with a cut in the bottom of it, which we would feed the seatbelt through before clicking it into place. This helped to hide the seatbelt mechanism, and so out of sight, out of mind, and it served to distract. I know that a lot of this is, is relevant to atypical youngsters who don't also particularly like car seats and can stiffen at the thought of being put in the seat. So there are various seatbelt guards that we bought in a bid to solve the dilemma. They worked for a bit until the Trouble Brothers eventually got their heads around the mechanism and the item was then regarded null and void, no longer did the trick and so it was housed in the back of a cupboard, effectively redundant. I'll never forget buying a harness for Josh, and I had seen lots of adverts for a particular one that suggested you'd want to be Houdini to be able to escape it. Well, if that's the case, Josh was a boy wonder, because he escaped from it in two minutes flat. The best option for us was for one of us to sit in the back, alongside the boys, with our hands covering the seatbelt buckle, and patiently saying no amidst the screams of protests. I used to drive Tony to the station to catch a train to work some mornings, and I'd invariably have Josh with me. He used to have a little penchant for beige foods from a well-known fast food takeout, and it meant we had to pass it en route. If I didn't turn into the car park to access the takeout in question, he would go berserk, screaming at the back of the car, and so I had no choice but to turn the radio up and let him roar because he was not eating fast food at 9am. The most stressful part of this was the fact that the car was a hatchback, so the boot was visible from the back seat. Once we had dropped Tony off and were making our way home, Josh would climb out of his seat and literally like a commando climb over the back seat and sit in the boot, just as I was passing the police station. This happened at the exact same spot, every time, every day. How on earth was that the case? It was no wonder that I marvel at the workings of the autistic mind. In the end, we sold the car, and we got another, and believe it or not, he never did it again in the new car. That was a habit and a ritual that pertained to that model of car only, which is unbelievably weird. I have to say, though, that I am so relieved that it's a behaviour that has stopped, because I wouldn't fancy having to wrestle a young man of six foot three into a seatbelt. 
We seem to have moved on from all that drama now, although I touch wood as I type. These days, I drive a little convertible Mini, and that means I can only have one six-foot-three passenger at a time. When the weather is good, the roof goes down, as it not only helps menopausal me, but it also makes the boys happy to feel the sun on their face and the breeze in their hair. Max sits and rocks gently to the music playing on his iPad, and Josh thinks he's at an amusement park with his hands in the air catching the breeze. Whatever makes them happy, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters, really. The Battle of the Seatbelt is one of the few victories I've had to date, and so if you ever drive past me when I'm out and about in my Mini, you may notice my slightly smug smile. It's been a long, hard journey, if you will pardon the pun. So please do allow me to be the victor of this one.